Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, everybody. It's Gidget Glore from Golden Gals Live, and we're bringing the warm Miami sunshine to the Windy City January 13th through February 12th at the Mercury Theater. Get your tickets now at GoldenGalsLive.com. What's going on, everybody? Pat DeVere here, and we are back again. It is the month of January. We have made it to 2023. I know we had an episode before this that came out in 2023, but this is our first roundup, so <laughs> I feel like it's officially we've made it into the year. You don't know when we recorded that episode. <laughs> officially. Come on, detox. Um, even though I think we, we talked about things that were being released uh, <laughs> right around the time that we recorded. So we definitely recorded that one in 2023. But whatever. We are back. We are gathered around the ye old round table to uh, talk the month in pop culture. See what uh, we have been watching, reading. I have not been reading. I need to get caught up on X-Men. Has Sins of Sinister started? Like... I, nope. There was just a whole big showdown between Maddie and Jean Grey in, in uh, Dark Web. I, I, I need to get caught up. Like, I just need to. So, you know, they're I didn't read They're all in the either. app. They're all in okay. the app. That Well, they're not the, not the web of whatever. I didn't read that stuff. But I will just say the Sinister stuff is coming to a head as far as the prologue. But you, you have mm-hmm. time. It's not starting officially, I think, until next month or something. And that's fine. And like in the dark web stuff was the, um, the, the, so I know there was the main line, but then there was uh, three X-Men like spinoff titles, just like dark web X-Men. So I may have to go and buy those once uh, when I get my, my, my check, but there's a lot to, a lot to catch up. I have not read, I've not read any X-Men since before the Hellfire Gala. (laughs) So basically like the entire latter half of the year. I still haven't finished the trial of Magneto. Like I know that that last issue is in the, oh, is in the app. My God! <laughs> so maybe that's around the time that I stopped reading. Was around that point. I think it was. Have I spoiled it for you yet? I'm about to spoil. I'm going to spoil it for you at some point. No, I, I <laughs> she ascends to some higher power and then comes back, and I don't know. She's she's now liked again. That's all I know. <laughs> um, but see, well, and the thing is. Um, 
the the issue that I have found when I'm using the app, and maybe it's just a me thing, when I use the uh, the app on my tablet, when I go into download new issues, I when I'm scrolling through because of the way it loads, I end up with these gaps where like it doesn't download properly like it there's like it doesn't show the issues correct and then i get frustrated and i'm like because it doesn't show me everything so i've got i'm gonna have to spend some time and like i need the titles that's what i need to do is like go in and look by title and see what is like what's been purchased anyway this is not a um a a cry for support in the marvel app on my tablet (laughs) um but needless to say there's lots out there to read that I need to get caught up on. But we're going to talk about what we've enjoyed in pop culture um, and then go into a little uh, dash of what is uh, giving us life in this month. Um, so let's j- just go ahead and dive right into the topics. Eric, I'm going to call on you. You had your hand up. I, I saw you all excited to uh, <laughs> do yours. Oh, no. No, you weren't. You weren't bouncing around. You know, podcasting is a visual medium. I'm just painting a <laughs> home audience. Uh, why don't you go ahead and kick us off with your your choice for topic this month? So January is already spooky season, and there is a new <laughs> release on HBO uh, based on a video game, The Last of Us, uh, starring Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. What? What are you already laughing at? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just realizing because it was pointed out in a note that I forgot to introduce everybody. I, pre- I didn't even introduce <laughs> myself. So if, if it makes anybody feel better before Eric continues on with the last of us conversation. <laughs> it's me, Pat DeBear, and I'm being joined by Brian. Hey there. <laughs> yeah, unmute yourself. Thank you. <laughs> I'm leaving that long pause in there. At least oh. this time it wasn't the the clonk clonk of the uh, the microphone mute button, um, which I think I eliminated. I went in and found found one, and then like noise reduced it in the the audio from the last episode, just so we didn't have any people going. What is this clunking noise? Good job, uh, Yeti, for also... putting that uh, obnoxious feature on these mics, right? <laughs> it, like for real though, like it is the loudest. It is the loudest mute button in the world. Oh, uh, we've also got, we've also got BJ. Oh man, watching watch the notes the notes on this episode are already popping off. It's great. <laughs> I know you you two going back and forth was was uh, fun. Brian's like you're pretty loud, and I'm like your face is pretty loud. And then I went to go adjust my volume, <laughs> and he's like, "That's fair." <laughs> And since he's, I've already called on him and he's already spoken, you know he's here, but I'm introducing him anyway. Hi, Eric. Hello. <laughs> so now the introductions are out of the way. I am getting so bad at that. Like, I feel, I feel like after almost 12 years, like, if you're, if you're just jumping in now, you should already know who we are. Well, well no, I'm, uh, the, the funny thing is, I told you last time, that's like how you know you've, you have an established podcast. Because almost every podcast I listen to unless they have a special guest that there's like, it's like four episodes without introducing everyone. And then like, then like right before they start the episode, they're like, Hey y'all, by the way, I know, you know, who's on this show, but we have to introduce ourselves for new listeners. And I didn't do that the past four episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've made it. 
there are a string of them. I'm like, honestly, this this group has been together on the podcast for what the better part of five years, maybe a little bit more than that, five or six years. Oh my god! So I mean, that's a good a good half. I mean, I've been in Chicago now almost three. So oh god, yeah. Wow, we're getting there. Almost three years in in Chicago, and we formed this, um, this this cadre cadre of hosts probably about two years prior to that. So, yeah, so like we, we've been doing this for like five years with this group. So, for those new listeners, welcome. These are those are the names to the voices. But enough of that. Eric was Eric was talking. I. I chuckled and interrupted his his speaking to um, do my job, (laughs) to go back and do my job correctly. (laughs) So, yes, HBO, The Last of Us. Continue on, Eric. Yep, with our cool slutty daddy, uh, Pedro Pascal and uh, Bella Ramsey. (laughs) Have you, I mean, how many times have you watched that? I'm sure everybody's seen that TikTok by now, right? I was going to say, it's like Vanity Fair. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a Vanity Fair interview. Yeah. Oh, I mean, so he does look markedly better after the time jump in this show, but I have not seen this slutty whatever you're referring to. I must go do the research. Yeah, it's one of those. Th- weren't they like uh, showing him like some um, thirsty tweets or something like that? The, they were showing him the. They showed him the. Showed him thirsty tweets, and they showed him the video of um, uh, Oscar Isaac um, being like, "Daddy's a state of mind." I'm your daddy. Like they they showed they showed him that video and he was like, I'm your slutty daddy. And I was like, mm, mm, no, stop. It's too soon for me to thirst after Joel. It's too soon. Yep, so this show is based on a very popular video game that I own but have not played. Um has anyone else played it? I played the first one, uh, and they they've nailed everything on the head, and they even added in some little bits and pieces to the show that is perfect. Like my thing is my thing with video game media translating to like film or television, you can't always do it exactly as seen. Everybody thinks that's what they want, but you really don't because it just comes out awkward. Um, but they did a really good job with some some like post show scenes that were fantastic that actually built on it a lot. Yeah, even though I haven't played the game, I knew it was going to happen in the first 45 minutes of the show. So it didn't surprise me at all. Um, Wait, do you mean like the premise of the the fungal spore outbreak or uh, like I mean, the, the... Fact- I don't, what was know happen when, I don't know when in the game they actually go into all the fungalness of it. Um, I mean, it's kind of pretty evident when you see what the clickers look like, right? They're called clickers, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, but just that opening scene from 1968 of the talk show and the guy explaining exactly what was going to happen, um, that was chilling yeah. in the way they did well, it. Well, well it my impressed thing... me that that cast, like, 
Well, first of all, so, so the cast in that scene was uh, impressive because the scientist that had all the, the dialogue was the guy from uh, Four Weddings and the a mummy. Funeral and The <laughs> Mummy. Thank you. I was like, what's the one I, everybody knows him from? Not the obscure 90s. Anyway, uh, and then the, the moderator was Big Head from Silicon Valley and a bunch of other stuff. So I was just like, oh, wow. And this is it felt like a one off. Is is BJ? Is that scene in the game too? I mean, it seems like they really did a good job of just translating all of this. I I don't remember the the night the, the nineteen sixty eight scene. Um, okay. I think I it may I think if so so the first episode the first episode the first like twenty minutes is similar to the first twenty minutes of the game where you're more you're more or less following um, Joel's daughter. Um, and I think if you fiddle around, like messing, like go to the TV and stuff like that, there's like information that pops up, but I like how they did that scene from like 1968, because let me tell you, those are 100% facts about like, that's the cordyceps mushroom, which is horrifying. I learned about this fungus when I when I was like in fourth grade reading random insect books and I got to like the predators and parasite section of the book and my mom my my parents didn't monitor me in the library um they should have but it it is like that is 100 if you if you go online you can actually see videos of like the ants that are infected and they just like climb to a high point or they go into like the center of the ant colony and they just like start sprouting spores and and everything and it's terrifying uh to think that like there's like two species separating us from it um so yeah it's like when i remember when the game released i didn't know that's what the zombies were and then when somebody told me i was like where's the money i need this fucking game in my face right now and yeah no it's though it, it is it's and especially now that we're like in a pen we're we're in like a post pandemic still kind of in a pandemic phase it's like very unsettling the first 20 minutes gave me massive amounts of anxiety even though i was pretty familiar with the game and and everything that was going on i was like why did they make me like this little girl so much i'm like please don't oh and <laughs> that's, that's um, a great narrative Parker, shift. she was so good uh-huh the um, casting's the, out of this world the uh, cordyceps thing is, is a reference back to the X Men. If you're reading the X Men, was it mm-hmm. Cordyceps Jones? Yep, Cordyceps uh, Jones, fung- fungal uh, alien uh, uh, inhabited alien uh, astronaut. No, it's a it's an alien fungus inhabiting a U.S. cosmonaut or astronaut or something. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's I didn't even catch that reference until uh, we were talking about this, but um yeah i just is so the game what is the game like is it like you're you have like a gun you have like weapons like is it just a jump scare thing so the game itself it's it's like a um i don't did you ever play the newer tomb raider games no so it's it's i haven't played one since her boobs were very triangular (laughs) um have you have you any of you played um uh, horizon zero dawn Yes, it's kind so it's it's got a it's more of a survival similar game because the thing is they don't really build to like people are just abjectly horrible and have turned terrible like the game right out the gate is like there are slavers you will fucking die if you venture beyond this weird totalitarian I can't even say words now um this weird sort of like 
fascist post government regime area um it's it's worse wherever you go so like people are trying to kill you and then the you've got the clickers you've got all of the infected that are just absolutely fucking terrifying so you can i know you can craft like so i think you get like a bow and arrow um you can you scavenge a lot for stuff um but it's more it's it's more of a survival horror aspect kind of like zero dawn except you don't have like all of the the neat little gadgets that you can kind of rely more on um but it's definitely it's more horror it's think resident evil without as many guns okay yeah well, and the that, fact that these better. are fast zombies oh yeah yeah they're scary is all hell yeah and they did a really good job with that one that was chasing joel and it's like it's fast but it's not like they're not super intelligent but they're definitely like their their main focus is to infect you by any means necessary so like that one that just kept crashing into like it couldn't take corners and it couldn't like it couldn't figure out the quickest way to you but just the way it was desperate at, at trying to get after you is just beyond unsettling yeah, one of the most horrifying images of the premiere was the first uh, infected you come across and she pulls off the corpse and you just see all of the fungus sticking out of her mouth. Uh-huh. And it was like, oh, yep. yeah. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Have you but watched yeah. it yet, Pat? I haven't. So <clears throat> I'm interested and kind of tempted to watch it. I, um, so I, the only thing I, the only reason I know anything about this game, one, because didn't the, uh, the last of us part two come out, uh, shortly after the pandemic, like, or right around the time of the pandemic hit. Um, yeah. And it became super popular. And around that time I was staying with Josh and he had told me about, the the cordyceps like fungal infection because of course at that point in time and you know back in the back in the uh golden days of march 2020 before the entire world collapsed um you know like that was kind of the whole thing everybody was talking about the movie pandemic or outbreak i'm sorry and then the you know he was talking about the last of us and how this kind of infection is different and blah 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 so i i know some of the the concept behind the game because of those conversations but i didn't i don't really know much else about it i'm not super like horror driven like i'm not big on those types of games i love resident evil like it's which is one of my weird like inroads into that kind of like horror survival genre um so it's not always in my wheelhouse but um but I, I I've heard a lot of really good things about it, and considering a lot of we'll call them TV shows, but a lot of properties, uh, live action uh, adaptations of video games don't get made well. Considering there was a Resident Evil show made for Netflix that I still have not watched, um, and have heard almost overwhelmingly horrible things about, I probably still will not watch it. Um, this is one where I'm like, I'm teetering on that brink of like, do I give it a try? Do I wait a little bit more and try to binge a couple of episodes? So that way I can actually kind of get some steam and, and like, I'm more likely to stick with something. And y'all know that like after (laughs) 
43 seasons of Survivor <laughs> after 34 seasons or 33, 34 seasons of you the amazing race. The and I, I prefer a binge, but, but I bring those up to say that once I've had, like once there's a bunch to get me kind of hooked into it, I will usually complete it. So I think I might wait a couple of episodes and then go back and try to watch. Not Even if I don't do like more than one or two episodes at a time, having those there where I could watch maybe like two on a Saturday and then two on a Sunday, like it'll give me more of an opportunity to stick with the show versus being like, all right, you know, maybe this isn't for me. And then just backing away from it because I, I don't think I've heard anything bad about the show so far, uh, which is very weird nowadays. And especially with a video game property. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to, to watch it in a couple of weeks. I think yeah, with I, that cast and that atmosphere that they've already built, as much as I'm the same way, I don't like horror really that much. I watched Barbarian last night and I was like, yeah, this is too much. I, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and that is even a straightforward horror. That's got its own, you know, whatever. I think we talked about that, but like, this show has a rich world of this post-apocalyptic dystopian fascist state. So you get a little bit of the Hunger Games going on. You get a little bit of moody, uh, whatever, wilderness, kind of like uh, what's the Sweet Tooth. You know, they're wandering through the, presumably wandering through the, the United States. You know, I, I, I'm in for that stuff. And then, yeah, unfortunately, uh, the other stuff is what it is. But, uh, yeah. And I'm sorry, yeah, if you're going nice. to say that word, I need you to say it correctly. It's post-apocalyptic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, I want you to know I was just listening to Janelle Monae's uh, Dance Apocalyptic, and now I can hear his <laughs> Dance Apocalyptic now in my head. So thanks for that. Uh, the the legacy of LeSean Beyond lives on. But I will I say I... that... Oh, sorry. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Uh, I will say that my I've complained about this like millions of times for so long term listeners. You're going to know exactly what I'm about to say. Um, my thing is when you have when you have an established property, the mistakes that I've I've always seen people make when it comes to it is they're either so afraid of the source material they just like run away from it. And and Resident Evil the series did that, which I thought was really weird cuz it's a it's a pretty rich story that doesn't need you don't need to do your own special take on it. You don't need to fiddle with it too much. You just need to make it right for the medium you're telling it on. I mean, hell, the Smurfs did this. They the first three Smurfs movies were like weird movies where the Smurfs were in our world and I was like, "Why do you need this?" Transformers, why do you need to rewrite the entire story like it's you don't need to do that and and studios could have executives being like we have to make it different um you know hasbro probably smacked them around as a child and they're like i will not give them the satisfaction of retelling their story um but with last of us they have they have found a way of telling the story pretty 100 percent accurate to how the game is there are scenes straight out of the game and you don't have that like, well, we're, we, we're like, we're scared to do it this way. Like, you don't have that. You you literally just have them being like, this is already a good story. We don't need to tweak the story. We just need to make sure we get the right casting, the right writers, and the right, you know, acting to go along with it. And I'm sure that they'll diverge 
and probably go deeper into some other stories because you the first the first game could literally be two or three seasons um so it's 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 really interesting especially they've got uh i think they're supposed to be making an announcement for a third game soon so i will say they they've taken a step in the right direction with this one Nice. And it's good to see Anna Torv back on my TV. Yes. Because I like her and everything she does. Yes. Um, I had forgotten, but it was nice to be reminded of Mindhunter. Um, oh, my God. Just from her being on TV. And how much I want another season of that, but it'll never happen. Um, uh, the score was really good, and it was actually done by the same person who scored the games. Yeah. So it's a nice. Yeah, I love the I I love that it, that, that kind of ambient score or whatever. The only thing I heard is there's some song that's very important to the show, but because they move the start date back, it's before the song would have actually existed. So now there's this whole confusion about oh god, what are we gonna do about this Pearl Jam song that's so important? I don't know. Uh, it, it, probably they'll figure it out, you know. <laughs> but it's yeah. uh, I, I mean, come on. But like fans of the show, making an anachronism are. is what you do, and you just use it. I know, right? Live <laughs> with it, right? Uh, but yeah, that score was really nice. I definitely would download that and just have that on as my lo-fi uh, background uh, ambience. As the zombies nice, are so chasing that's... me around. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what Sunday nights on HBO. Yes. Uh, yes. I w- I love how we still try to like figure out what days the shows are actually on when we live in a world where we stream most everything and don't watch it live. But for those who do watch it live, cause this is an HBO show. Like this isn't just an HBO max or, or max. Right. Exclusive, I, I, right? Yeah. I particularly watch it on HBO max, but it's a regular HBO show. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Very good. So the last of us, give it a try. If you are into that kind of thing, uh, and uh, positive reviews so far. So hopefully they keep that momentum going and it actually sticks the the whole, you know, the landing through this first season because, you know, nowadays you're only guaranteed maybe a season. Uh, who knows? <laughs> it's not, it's not on Netflix, at least. If it was on Netflix, we'd really have to worry. I mean, man, we're talking about HBO. I we're talking about say... HBO Max. Where everything is being canceled. Oh, that's right. I, it, you would it, think that you would probably... think that HBO, like Warner Brothers Discovery, were uh, were horrible Antifa leftists, and everybody was canceled. <laughs> oh, um, this is the second most popular show they've had, I think, in years, if not ever. Yeah, yeah since twenty ten. It, it, it's gonna be around for a bit. I feel like, unless it just you know jumps all the sharks. What was what what show was that in 2010? I don't know. Wikipedia just says it was this uh, second most watched premiere uh, for HBO since 2010. Doesn't name. That the feels show. like Sopranos. There, I'm gonna assume it's. Uh, well, I'm gonna. I was gonna say, when was Game of Thrones? Ooh, that could have been Game of Thrones too. You're yeah, right. it probably is Game of Thrones. Yeah, I think Sopranos was earlier in the. In oh the no! Game aughts. of Thrones is 2011. Oh um, wow. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Maybe somebody out there will tell us what it is. Well, <laughs> I will forget to look nope. for it. 
It's neither Sopranos nor Game of Thrones, so something in between, but I have no idea. Oh. Place if you know the answer out there, let us know. Oh. All right. Let us move on to our next topic. Brian, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us your pick for this month? So I have had a very odd experience this past two months. Uh, my father passed away somewhat suddenly, and uh, I also turned 46, all in the same span of like December. And uh, those two things can do a lot to your psyche, <laughs> not always obvious ways. But uh, one movie I watched that kind of helped me in some ways helped in other ways kind of, uh, I don't know, did something uh, watching was uh, White Noise on Netflix. Um, this, if you've not seen it, and I, I'm going to take a guess, none of us have seen it except me. Is that, is that anybody else see it? Yeah, okay. I saw it, the trailer for it, but I haven't seen the actual movie. It, it the trailer uh I, I it's so weird so this is a movie based on a book from the 80s that um i was delighted that they did not try to update the time period because the best part of this movie one of the best parts is the setting there is such delightful 80s nostalgia in certain respects not like in the stranger things kind of pop culture respects but in like shopping at a grocery store in the mid 80s which I did because I'm ancient, um, <laughs> you know, like you get some of that like nostalgia and or like, you know, just living in that space. Anyway, so th th this 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 movie is uh, allegedly before it was made, the book was deemed unfilmable because it's just so um, I don't know, challenging in its tone and subject matter. It, it can be probably summed up in one way as a meditation on uh death and fearing your own mortality uh hence why it ties in with my uh my december um it also deals with things like hitler and um the apocalyptic uh like uh, having like a mini apocalypse kind of like we went through and also uh this airborne toxic event that happened in the book uh based on real events in the 80s and before um, it's got a great cast. It's leads are Adam driver, uh, Greta Gerwig and Don Cheadle, not to mention, uh, many other people who show up and like these, these, these kids of the family are just amazing. I, I didn't recognize any of them, but, um, from other things, but like great cast. If you're not familiar with Greta Gerwig, of course she did uh lady bird. She's actually an actress and a filmmaker. She's a lady bird and she is the uh, director of the new Barbie film. So, uh, very, uh, interesting uh, choice. Uh, and, and of course, Adam Jesus driver, Christ. I know, I know Adam driver. Uh, this is the least glamorous role of I've ever seen him in for those of you who are thirst trapping him and have been for a <laughs> while. Watch this, unless you have a real interesting preference. Uh, and I mean, we're talking not so slutty daddy here. Um, he looks very old. He looks very middle-aged plus, um, and he is, uh, he is actually the director of Hitler studies, which is kind of its own bizarre, weird kind of thing that they go through. But, um, the dialogue in this movie is very, um, it almost sounds like they're doing a, a an NPR podcast somewhat like <laughs> it's very like smart, fast, and also a little like wry and kind of ironic. And it's just, it's like, unlike a Aaron lot of other Sorkin things I've seen. 
Yeah, I would say Sorkin-esque. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go with that. Um, it's a film, the film's directed and, and produced, and I think even co-written by Noah Bumbach. So if you've seen like the squid and the whale or the marriage story, like you kind of get the vibe that he usually brings to his pieces. He's kind of in that same space. So it, 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 he, he is a good choice for directing this. I guess years ago, Barry Sonnenfeld was going to be doing this. And I think that would have been really interesting too, because there's some surrealism to say the least in this, in this film. Uh, but it's basically the whole, like, as much as it shifts tones and goes through all these weird things, it's at its core, it's about this marriage that's sort of not doing well. And it, because the wife is sort of secluding herself and pulling back from everybody. And she's taking this like drug that'll help her conquer her fear of dying. And it's an experimental drug that she's getting from this very seedy, whatever source who basically just wants her to have sex with him. So she can get the drug. It's like, and you find this as a little bit of a spoiler here, I guess, but you find this out later for a while. That is not in the foreground. It's kind of there in like the mystery of what's going on. But um, so, so like there's this like marriage. How does it, how do you come back from that? There's this, like I said, fear of dying is very present. There's the airborne toxic event, uh, which by the way, is a band name based on this book, uh, which I thought <laughs> was funny and they popped onto my my spotify the other day and i was like what is going on here um they're <laughs> harvesting my data i can tell <laughs> um but the uh yeah adam driver's character gets exposed to this airborne toxic event and then the uh there's kind of this sort of funny the movie's definitely got humor throughout but it's like this this like they're in like a camp like an emergency camp and this this very inept uh volunteer is explaining that he's probably going to die in like 15 years. But the only reason they believe that is because of what their computer is telling them. So there's always this kind of thing in the eighties about, Oh, well, computers are going to do this and computers are doing this. And they really hadn't fully digested what that meant. So you had like kind of everybody reacting to, Oh, well, the computer said this or, Oh, the experts are saying that. So it, that's a kind of a, you know, satirical part of it as well. Cause he's fine. Otherwise, like he, he doesn't really seem like he's affected, you know, at least at first. Um, God. Yeah. It's just so weird. There's so many great things. And the movie is shot very much in the colors of that era. So he, it looks like really uh, tweaked in terms of the, the, the visual tones. Um, there's also quite an amazing musical number at the very end of the, the movie at the credits. And I just think if you want to just watch that alone, it's probably on YouTube or somewhere. It's awesome. It's as a, as a technical achievement, what they pull off, it's something on the lines of like an okay go esque, you know, musical number, but also it's throughout the entirety of the credits. It's a, it's on a, using a song by LCD sound system, which doesn't fit the period, but is perfect for the tone. Um, and uh yeah gosh i don't know I, I there's just so many weird things about this movie that you know you could dig into but um if you if you are like myself and you are meditating on your existence and the uh, finite nature of it uh at whatever age you know it doesn't have to be in your 40s it can be any time uh it's it's perennial it comes back around every so often to haunt you uh you should definitely watch this and uh Maybe it helps. Maybe it just lets you have that cathartic sort of experience and then you can sort of move on from it. I, I kind of want to read the book now just because I've heard the book is uh, is stronger in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, go figure. But uh, yeah, air, uh, I want to call it Airborne Toxic Event. 
white noise and it is on netflix and uh yeah it's stay for the credits do not do not stop that thing and, and it doesn't it doesn't like do a post-credits thing it's not marvel you know you'll you'll definitely get the ride if you want it but it, it goes for some time and just you could probably watch it also multiple times and get different things out of it it's that kind of impressive uh mosaic you know like looking at a waldo painting just seeing all of the detail of what's going on is 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 really cool so yeah white noise by noah bumbach on netflix nice nice for a second i i was like wait a minute it's a choose your own adventure movie when you said you can get multiple <laughs> things out of it and i was like damn i was like now well, i want to so- go back and watch uh, unbreakable kimmy schmidt again so I, I do want to, uh, you watch that other Netflix thing, what's it called, where you can like watch it in any order? Oh, it's no, got the guy I heard from about the it. The Black Mirror one? No, that's no, Bandersnatch. No. That's, Bandersnatch is awesome. And that is a choose your own adventure and that you make choices. But the this is a newer one and it's about a heist. I cannot think oh, of what it's shit. called. Ultra, ultraviolet or I don't know. It's got something. It's, it's called the different colors. And you just basically choose the order you watch the episodes in. And then that shapes your experience. Kaleidoscope. Kaleidoscope, yeah. I do want to watch uh, that at some point. Yeah, it's a launch, uh, launching on 1 January 2023. A new eight-episode series titled Kaleidoscope will encourage viewers to watch the series in whatever order they want. Thus, not everyone's experience of the show will be the same. Yeah, that sounded really cool. I saw like something about it once, and then like that was it. And a lot of times, then it's completely gone from my brain, like uh, goldfish brain. But yeah, that does sound very interesting to watch. Maybe I will. I will uh, say, maybe I'll watch that. I will say that the end thing—it's uh, a—it's a mosaic in that it's basically all set in a grocery store. There's a lot of scenes in a grocery store, uh, and this delightful scene is basically the entire cast plus all of these extras doing a dance number while they're checking out and doing other things in the store. So you've seen like small pieces of the grocery store, but they pull up to an overhead shot of the entire set and it's an entire grocery store and you see for like six no it's probably not that long but like three or four minutes the length of the song almost you see them doing choreography checking out packing groceries restocking like all of the activities happening in this grocery store set to music and it's I honestly have not seen anything like this in a long time, and it, it was beautiful. So it's a nice palate cleanser after you've dealt with the fear of dying and all the existential dread that you could hope for in a movie. Uh, you get that. So delightful. <laughs> all right. I'm going to need to go check my timeline for kittens and puppy videos to help uh, <laughs> get a, a, a timeline refresh. Um, what's funny is I, while you were talking about that, I had gotten a message, um, on Instagram. So I opened it up and then went back to my feed and like the second post in my feed was the, uh, Pedro Pascal, I'm your slutty daddy. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, damn, I have headphones on and my phone is still listening to this conversation. (laughs) Oh, I love it. So that's white noise on Netflix. Go check it out. Oh, uh, well, since it's a film, do you want to give it a, a flame rating before we move on? Man, this is tough. I'm going to go four out of five because at first I didn't love it. But the more I think about it, the more it stuck with me. I think, yeah, four out of five. Four out of five flames. Four out of five existential flames. <laughs> which are different than eternal <laughs> flames. That's, Susanna Hoffs was not singing about 
about these existential flames. All right, dear listeners, thank you so much for uh, coming into the new year with us. We have another bountiful amount of podcast episodes coming your way this year, and we're excited to have you along for the journey. Feel free to go check out our website. It's flameonshow.com. From there, you can check out all of our social media. You can check out our uh, video interview series, The Rainbow Spotlight, that Brian hosted. Uh, You can find our Twitch channels, where none of us are currently. I think we've all taken a Twitch hiatus, but those are still there, um, as well as links to our Threadless shop, where you can purchase your own Flame On swag, um, like we all now have. Um, you can be like Jamie, friend of the pod, who uh, purchased his and uh, sent photographic evidence, so that way we know uh, that he is rocking the Flame On swag out in San Fran. But you can also link to or go directly to our patreon from from that page that's patreon.com forward slash flame on show you can join it any one of the four tiers that are available and uh get some cool perks and or benefits from joining uh our patreon and you can help support us your favorite at least in our opinion podcast that you listen to so check us out online, flameonshow.com and patreon.com forward slash flame on show. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, BJ, why don't you give us our next topic? Well, she's more than a toy. She's Megan. Um... I went and saw Megan shortly after we did our um, things we're excited for for the year. Um, And the movie is absolutely insane, but also really, really fucking good. So for those of you that have been living under a rock, um, uh, Megan is a movie. Get this rock off of me. (laughs) Is essentially... (laughs) A, uh, it's of the horror genre by Bloomhouse. Uh, it's about a super advanced toy um, named Megan who is uh, designed to not only entertain your child, but to help the parents with the little things. Um, like, you know, how children ask tons of questions. Megan is there to explain every little thing to them that they possibly want to know and is to help them wash, remember to wash their hands. She is your best friend. Um, so my buddy and me, (laughs) kid sister, kid kid sister. sister. Oh God. You can't sing the, my buddy theme without me then wanting to go into the, uh, the kid sister, the second version where they go right hand in hand. (laughs) 
I know. I know. I know that there I know that it existed before and that there is a version prior to that, but for some reason the one that is burned into my brain is always uh my buddy into the kid sister commercial. Just an aside. <laughs> but uh but yeah, so the it's it's um for those of you familiar, uh Bloomhouse, they they usually knock it out of the park with their horror movies. Uh what's interesting is one of the head writers, Akila Cooper <laughs> Um, who wrote the screenplay she also pro- is a producer for uh star trek strange new worlds and was a producer on luke cage uh the netflix series so and she was a supervising producer for american horror story so she's been she's been all around the uh our orbit uh in the background skulking about um but no uh it's it's weird because the movie. So one, first of all, the movie scored higher than Avatar um, on Rotten Tomatoes by like ten percent, and uh, or ten percent or ten points. I can't remember if it's a percentile. Um, but the movie is shockingly engaging, especially on the sci-fi front. Um, they talk a lot about Megan's uh, how she adapts and grows and evolves, but the main character who creates her didn't really put in enough real security protocols. So once Megan is paired with her niece, Katie, she's like, Katie will tell Megan to turn off or turn on, but you know, her creator can't turn her off until she actually goes in to her system and puts in like a parental override. Uh, So it's one of, but by this point, Megan's already evolved past that point. So um, it's it's really, really interesting because there's a whole thing with um, kids and screen time and how that can potentially negatively affect them, Um, how how even adults form attachments to technology and expect the technology to kind of take over for them when they don't really want to deal with something. So it's it's really 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 interesting on that front. Although how how businesses will overwork people to to encourage that kind of behavior so it's it's really just a microcosm of like our capitalistic tendencies and our need to like just because just because you can streamline something doesn't technically make it better it just gives you more time to potentially focus on things that either aren't important or are taking over your life so it's it it, it was shockingly engaging and then you have moments where Megan like is singing lullabies to Katie. And there was one point I'm sitting there and I'm like, what song is this? She's singing a lullaby version of Titanium. <laughs> and, and the entire theater realized it at the exact same time. And we are all in tears because it's creepy. It's weird. It's super gay. Like it's just so, so fucking funny. And I just I couldn't stop laughing because at some of those funny parts, and then some of the really dark parts are just like it, it's. I don't know if it was originally written written to be a horror comedy, but it is one hundred percent a horror comedy. Um, and uh, who I know I talked about the little girl that plays Megan, Amy Donald, is like a, a gymnast. And that whole dance that's been popping up all over social media and all of the clips, she actually came up with that randomly. Like she just started doing it on the set and they were, everybody was like, that's, that's weird. 
please stop. <laughs> but they kept it in the movie. Um, and then the advertisements, they have a whole set of Megan uh, dancers that have been going. There is a thing where they're at a Raiders game and uh, the Raiders cheerleaders come out and then the lights go down and Megan pops up on the screen having hacked the uh, the show. And then when the lights come back on, it's all of the dancers and they're all dressed like Megan and they're all just like very mute in their face. And they were at the premiere. They've been doing a whole bunch of press stuff. So it's 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 like I said, it's shockingly engaging for like a random horror comedy that popped up in freaking January because January is not the month for like big blockbusters normally. Um, But yeah, it's. It's great. I honestly think, even though you guys aren't super into horror, I think this is something y- y'all could y'all could get behind very, very easily. I was going to say, isn't it like surprisingly vo- uh, devoid of blood? It's not. Yeah, so it's not as gory. Um, there, there's, there's like a, a there's like a part where she like rips a kid's ear. Um, so that's like super painful to watch, but. Other than that, it's not super gory, and it's um uh, was there's there's a point where she's like yelling at her creator, and she's just like Jesus Christ, I thought we were friends, you know, <laughs> and it's it's really really I was the dialogue's fantastic, and it actually so just, she is uh, a gay man. <laughs> Megan Megan, I would say actually is like your toxic female best friend. <laughs> but, so like most gay men. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Over oh like like I'm doing it better than you, so I'm gonna do it better than you. Goodbye. Like <laughs> Yeah, so like most gay men. Okay, yeah. cool. Like <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe I just have a very warped perception of gay men right now. I don't know. I was gonna say I feel like both you and I just kind of like like did like a slight drag of of, of gay men just now. <laughs> So I have a very important question, BJ. Last time we talked about the show, last episode, uh, movie, I asked you about it being set in Seattle. So I need to know how many references to the Space Needle or Pike's Place Market did they make? Not that many. Honestly, there was very little time with them in downtown Chicago. Um, Seattle. Seattle. Chicago. Uh, Seattle. There's very little time with them in downtown Seattle. Um, most of the scenes are either within the toy company, um, either within the toy company or at the, uh, at, at, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, I keep forgetting her friggin' name. Allison okay. Williams. So it's not, not Alice, not her Alice name Williams. is Megan. Um, Gemma. Or Mithrigan. I thought it was Gemma. Mithrigan. Yeah. Mithrigan. Mithrigan. Um, but most of uh, they're most of them are at Jim's. Most of the scenes are at Jim's house, uh, the toy company, and then there's there's a scene where she's driving through town, and that's where you get most of Seattle. Um, but other than that, it's it's very it's a very it's honestly it's very for something that takes place in a major city, it's very confined, and I think they found that when you even though you're in a large area or large space and you feel it you feel confined to a finite area it actually helps it to be a little creepier that makes sense yeah 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 absolutely because you you're not able to yeah you feel trapped it's that claustrophobia kind of um 
addition to it that that creates the suspense and tension. Yeah, I've heard nothing but but good things about the movie, and they've already greenlit and announced um, Megan version two point I know version's not in there, but it, I felt like the garbage reference was needed. Uh, <laughs> Megan two point is coming out in January twenty twenty four. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's a really quick turnaround. Like they must have been in production already, with like just waiting to get that green light because. For a movie to turn around and not be an established pr- uh, property, and to to pump out a um, uh, like to pr- uh, pump out a sequel a year later, like that's insane. But good on them. Yeah, it's it's honestly, and like I said, it's it doesn't have a huge cast. It doesn't have. Um, it's got maybe four set pieces. And because it's so kind of compressed in its own little environment, um, assuming they go with like the same cast and the same uh, location, because uh, at, at, at some point in the movie, she starts to, she just literally, she walks into a room and things are immediately hacked. Like she, she is able to hack systems. She evolves well beyond her original capabilities pretty early in the movie. So they could either go with the same cast or they could have, somebody else stumbles upon her code and makes the mistake of, of rebuilding her. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I could see the, I could see this being an easy concept to kind of flip, especially if the entire cast is already signed on uh, and writing, writing team and everybody has already signed on to be like, yeah, sure. We'll do, we'll do it again. So if they got that all situated before the movie even came out, then yeah, fast, fast turnaround. Oh yeah. I mean, that all would have had to been set up because they got to film post-production, get that Mm -hmm. all set within, uh, within a year for sure. But um, as long as she, as long as she hacks into the mainframe, then then we're all good. (laughs) Sorry. I was watching a video about like two thousands, like a two thousands film. And it was like, what was the deal with everybody needing to like hack into a mainframe? (laughs) (laughs) uh, But, but I'm definitely giving this a five out of five flames because like, it shocked me how, how in depth and deep the movie actually was for just like, like I said, I think it was like an hour and a half um, for just a little like quickie horror comedy. I was very, very happy with it. Don't mention 90 minute things. The uh, drag race fans will get really a bet and uh, <laughs> they'll start pu- pushing that change.org petition again. <laughs> So that's Mithrigan, now in a theater near you. Go check it out. BJ highly recommends it. I I, I may need to find like a matinee showing and, and go spend, you know, a couple less dollars um, and go see it. But because I have heard great things. Mithrigan, now in theaters. Go check it out. All right. I actually have a current like kind of trending um, topic to talk about. I uh, haven't really had one of those in a while. I've been a little uh, enthralled, encapsulated in binge-watching television. Um, so I did another binge. Uh, but this time for a show that just came out as of this recording <clears throat> nine days ago. Um, I saw it all over Twitter. And then I went to uh, the Big Gay Game Show with Sofonda Booze. With the cast of the Golden Gals, which, by the way, y'all, I went and saw the Golden Gals. If you're in the Chicagoland area, it is fantastic. It is done um, 
as a full stage, like staged play versus the uh, concept in Florida where it was done as a television show. So you got the commercials in between the set changes. Um, <clears throat> but it was a fantastic show. So the Golden Gals came and joined me for Big Gay Game Night. And um, so Fonda Booze was talking about the traders. And I felt that was the impetus I needed to uh, go watch it. And actually, the reason I felt the need to watch it was because now I have access to Peacock. So I have access to actually watch the show. So and I watched uh, I actually binged the last season of Top Chef because it, I, I now had access to it on a platform where I didn't have to wait a year for it. So I'm now caught up on Top Chef as well. So bravo for me. <laughs> I love that for you. Right. Oh, so. So, yeah. So my topic is the traitors, uh, the U.S. version, uh, the U.K. version apparently just wrapped up. Uh, but we got our own version of the traders here in america so just a little quick background on what the show is uh the traders is an american reality television series that is based on the dutch series and i'm not going to say this correctly de veriters i i feel like that was the best way i could say it sounding more dutch than spanish um because <laughs> No matter what happens, it always I, it always wants to sound Spanish when I say it. Um, it's hosted by Scottish actor Alan Cumming, and the first season was released on Peacock on January twelfth, twenty twenty three. So twenty contestants arrive at a castle in Scottish Highlands with hopes of winning the two hundred fifty thousand dollar prize. The players are referred to as the faithful, but among them are traitors, a group of contestants selected by the host whose goal is to eliminate the uh, the faithfuls and claim the prize for themselves. Should the faithful contestants eliminate all the traders, they will share the prize fund. But if any traders make it to the end, they steal the money. Okay, so if you have seen the mole, it's kind of like that. Okay. But it's not. Because at the end of the day, the the traders still want to win money. They still want the team. They need to build up the bank. Because if they make it to the end, they can they win that money. So where like because the first thing that popped in my head was like, oh, very much the mole. But the, in the mole, you're trying to sabotage the team bank. You're trying to um, not let there be as much money in the bank because um, at the end of at the end of it all, there is like a separate prize package for for the mole to win. So that's where there's kind of a similarity, but kind of a difference there. The 20 contestants, this isn't a your typical reality show competition. It is a mixture, half and half, of reality television celebrities. We'll call them celebrities. And uh, half civilians. So these are people that have not been on any uh, reality television shows, that have not been on on. TV or been a part of anything famous. So a quick rundown of who the celebrities are. And when I was looking up the Wikipedia page, one, I am about 45 minutes from finishing the show and I've already ruined it for myself because the Wikipedia page has the contestants listed <laughs> in order of elimination. So oh, buddy, I, no. I, yeah, yes. So I I've spoiled it for myself, but at the same time, like I was 45 minutes out. I was pretty sure I knew how it was going to end. Um, but 
I, I went and I found another page that talks about the show um, and, it, and it lists them in alphabetical order. So this way, I this is one time. Now, normally we spoil the hell out of everything. We talk about all this stuff. This is a show. And I think, honestly, if you all have access to Peacock, this may be something that you might enjoy watching as well. So normally I would still spoil it, even if like, because most of the time, like if we haven't watched it, we're not going to. But I think this might be something that you would enjoy watching. If you have access to Peacock, I highly recommend you watch it. And for our listeners out there, um, I, I don't want to spoil the uh, the, the twists and turns and, and the, the outcome of the game. So in alphabetical order, these are the celebrities. We've got, uh, and I'm really, I'm just going to go there. Most of them would just by, la- uh, by first name. Uh, one, because I don't want to try to pronounce their last names. And two, because... During, through the show, it's mostly how they're referred to. So you have Ari, who was uh, on the eighth season of The Bachelor, I think it was, in 2012. And apparently, uh, again, in 2018. You've got Brandy Glanville, who I do not like. Um, partially because her fans and, and Leanne Rimes' fans made my Twitter page a living hell for a day after Gay Days one year. <laughs> Um, also because she just does not seem like a very nice person, but she is a former, um, real housewife of Beverly Hills. You got Sari Fields. Come on. If you don't know Sari, I don't know who you are, but, uh, Sari is from Survivor. She's phenomenal and we love her to death because she's Sari. Uh, Cody Calafiore. Cody's from Big Brother. And if you are not a Big Brother watcher, He's also the brother, and you are a challenge watcher. He's the brother of Polly, uh, of Polly and Cara Maria fame. But Cody is on there. Kate from uh, Blow Deck. Kyle from Summer House and Winter House on Bravo, who I don't know. Uh, you got Rachel Riley, who is on Big Brother, apparently. Um, but I know her now from The Amazing Race as part of uh, The Brunchels. Reza Farahan from Shaz of Sunset. Ryan Lochte, for some reason. They were like, we're just going to throw a random athlete on here. He did have and a reality and- show for like six episodes or so, I think. This is true. This is true. I think that was also around the time that like, um, didn't he have a metal oh, show from him? Legal troubles and, down in Brazil yeah, or wherever yeah. happened. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Stephanie Lagrosa of Survivor fame or Infamy, depending on which season you're talking about. So that's your; those are your ten uh, reality celebrity contestants for the show. Civilians wise, you've got Amanda, Andy, Angelica, Azra, Bam. Christian, Geraldine, sorry, my computer's going slow, Michael, who I swore, I could have sworn, was a raging homosexual. Apparently, he's just Southern. Or he is a closeted raging homosexual from the South. Because... I wanted to sing um, Gay or European yeah. from Legally Blonde, but make it Southern. Because <laughs> uh, I was reading this bio, and it was like, 
Kentucky local Michael Davidson is a single dad with three kids, an Australian shepherd, and a love of, a love of rock climbing, people watching, cooking, and traveling. Uh, he enjoys reality TV and horror films and is a big advocate for mental health. He's active in his church and serves on the hospitality team, hosting community events. I was like, okay, yeah, he's just a closeted gay and outreach ministries. But either which way, if he is, then you do you, Michael. You come out in your own time. And then Quentin and Shelby. Yep. And those are your 20 contestants. So the way that the the, the way the program is structured is in the beginning, everybody gets together, meets and mingles at Alan Cummings Castle in the Scottish Highlands, which is also the same setting for the UK version of the show. They <clears throat> all get to kind of meet, talk with each other, kind of develop the bonds, and, and then they get brought to the round table. Be, they're blindfolded. They put their, their blindfolds on. Then Alan Cumming walks around the table and eventually taps a certain number of contestants to denote that they will be the traitors. Then it's a matter of uh, performing mini challenges. I guess, I guess more maxi challenges. They, they're given missions to win money and add money to the pot. And then at the end of said day, they meet at the round table and have to banish a player from the game. The goal is to banish the traitors. Because once you've eliminated all the traitors, if you make it to the end, you split the pot or whatever is left in the uh, whatever the team has banked. If they uh, once they they accuse everybody and cast their votes, person with the most votes is banished. They go to the circle of truth and announce whether they were a faithful or a traitor. And then so they have to be honest there. Most of them just kind of give a a quick little like spiel and uh, and move on. One or two of them may try to throw accusations out while they're in that circle before they leave. Whether the rest of the group heeds that, you know, you got to watch to find out. But, um, and, but that's so that's like the the crux of the the episode. However, at the end of the night, the traders all meet at a uh, a secret turret and decide one player to murder. So they eventually throw a little bit of clue in there as well. The murders are kind of just this random piece of it, but depending on how the traders play it, it could potentially give away a pattern if they uh, if they kind of keep a pattern going and could potentially tip off the faithfuls. Um, leads up to the final five in the, fi- in the final episode, the double-sized episode of uh, the traders, because each episode is about an hour like about 52 minutes this one's like an hour and 12 and um, you get your final five somebody's banished go down your final four those final four um go into the ring of fire and have to vote to determine whether or not there are any more traitors in the midst of the group and if there are like i said before the traitors um either win the pot split the pot or the faithfuls will win the you know will split it based off however many people are left so one person could take the whole amount of money or it could be split up amongst a couple of people depending on who makes it to the end. So the way it's the way that the the game runs, it's actually really entertaining and really fun to follow along with and it's a it feels like a mixture of so many of these competition shows um like I said the mole because you've got people who are um playing against the 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 players who are actually trying to win this money you've got um a little bit of the challenge because you have these these daily challenges that they're competing in 
you've got like all of these like little bits and, and fun parts of all these different reality shows made made it a really fun watch i can definitely tell why it became a a quick trending topic on gay twitter um because these people are sassy as fuck and i love it um there is some queer representation which is lovely um i know andy is a a lesbian um you know she's got a a wife girlfriend slash wife at home who's pregnant with their child and all of this stuff like there's some really some of these uh civilians are are just really cool people to see evolve as a television personality now and then you've got some some more fun and some less fun reality people that are a part of the show but um yeah overall it's a really fun show to watch I, I don't think anybody here has... I think, Brian, you might be the only one with the Peacock um, account. Uh, and I know you're not a big reality television person outside of maybe Drag Race. Um, unscripted television, sorry. We're not not reality. Unscripted television. <laughs> um, but if you get... If, if BJ, Eric, if you have a chance to watch... And I know, Eric, you watch Survivor, you watch Big Brother. So you have some ties to some of these... Um, uh, to some of these characters as well. And the funny part is that it's very Bravo heavy aside from the big brother and survivor aspects, which is a paramount, um, you know, paramount show. So it's kind of funny to see that cross promotional, like, or that, that cross uh, uh, broadcast lines type of thing. But it, it was a really good cast. And apparently it's the exact same missions from the UK version done in the exact same order because somebody I follow on Twitter after watching the U S version went back and watched the UK version and it's literally the same thing. Um, but I'm sure that the gameplay plays out differently in, in that, in their version of, uh, of the game, but twists turns. Um, I actually didn't mind Alan coming in this. He wears a lovely pink and black, uh, like tartan, uh, outfit in the the final episode that i i probably could not pull off but i was living for completely um but yeah i i highly recommend it it's a lot of fun 10 episodes uh like i said the first nine are each about just shy of an hour and then uh just shy of an hour and 15 for the finale to uh to eliminate you know an extra person and then go to the final four so that's on peacock check it out the traders um i i'm super i'm super happy that i took the dive into into this all right y'all before we dive into our one-ups for this episode just want to thank you again for listening to flame on and joining us in this year with all of the fun stuff that we've got planned for you check out our website at flameonshow.com and uh, feel free to go check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash flame on show. Join at any of the four levels that we have available and help keep this podcast going strong. Flameonshow.com and patreon.com forward slash flame on show. All right, y'all. Let's do this. Our first one ups of the year 2023. BJ, we're going to shake this up. I'm going to throw it to you. What is your one up? <laughs> Um, actually, so we were, we were juggling one-ups before this episode. I originally said season two of Vox Machina, um, and then Pat reminded me that he had posted the trailer for Scream 6 in our, uh, in our chat, and... Scrumvy? Scrumvy? Scrum, 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 Scrum,
S-C-R-E-A-N-V-I. <laughs> It'll look a little weird. Scrunding. Because, I mean, like, now, like, it was when 5 came out, like, the, what was it, the E was a 5, mm-hmm. and now the, the, the M is also, like, the V-I for 6. I don't know. They're making it harder for me to be able to type these things out. But uh, no, I'm. I they released a teaser a couple months ago, and the teaser um, definitely showed off that it's going to be in New York City now. Uh, we've we finally we've we finally kind of left um, the little sleepy town. I think I can't remember where that town was. I think it was in New England or something. Um, however, we've got uh, Gail coming back. Uh, Courtney Cox is Gail Weathers. And we've got Hayden Panettiere as Kirby, uh, the survivor from Scream 4. And then we've got all of the survivors from Scream 5. So it is it is really, really, really interesting. And the best part is I think now that we've kind of traversed every like because because the, the big thing about Scream is that always there's always callbacks to classical like slasher flicks. Now it looks like we're getting tr- more tropes into middle 2000s era or like 20, I want to say 2010, 2015. Because uh, there's a really funny scene where Gail is talking to him and is like, you know, like 12 people have done the shtick already. And he's like, I'm something new. And while she's on the phone, she's not alone. She's with somebody in her apartment. And he literally isn't sneaking around. He just grabs them real quick, kills them, and throws them through a wall. And you're just like, oh, yeah, no, he's not. They're, they're not fucking around this time. So it's, it seems well, like the we're very getting opening more... of the trailer when they run into the convenience store and yeah. some guy's going to stand up for them and he just stabs them in front of everybody. And people take off running <laughs> and he, he steals the shotgun. I'm like, <laughs> Oh no, we we are well into like the others, uh, which is a really good horror movie. But we're into like it kind of makes me think of Jason Takes Manhattan. If any of you watched yeah. that throwback, it makes me think of Jason Takes Manhattan, where he's just wandering through the city, murdering everyone he comes across. Um, but it also seems like there might be a bit of a cult because uh, there's a scene where they find what looks like to be a shrine. And it looks like it has all the outfits uh, of the previous Ghostface killers and some of their weapons. Uh, so it's it, it looks like we might have like a somewhat like a cult situation on our hands. But it looks really fun, really gory, and like it, it is a balls to the wall. It looks like it's going to be nonstop action with them just running through the city trying to like catch this asshole. So I'm very very excited. Did you say Jason takes Manhattan? Yes. Okay. So two things. One, <laughs> uh, Woodsboro, uh, Woodboro is uh, California. Okay. So they've gone cross country for this now. But since you mentioned that, our dear friend Jay Abbott, friend of the pod, had a post about this from two days ago. And I want to read it because uh, it actually mentions what you said. Like it, it, there is a mention to Jason Takes Manhattan. Uh, so I think this is a perfect little segue. Scream, commentary on slashers. Scream 2, commentary on sequels. Scream 3, commentary on trilogies and Hollywood cheapening franchises via numerous sequels. Scream 4, commentary on social media fandom. Scream 5, commentary on reboots slash requels and toxic fandoms. 
says, I'm wondering what Scream 6 is going to be really about since the franchise has always been much more than just horror film cliches. Even the weakest entries like 3 and 4 have a lot to say. Considering the trailer showcases a ghost face with a shotgun, an actual layer, and Courtney Cox even calling out the new ghost face as, quote unquote, the 10th guy who tried this, tells me this is going to be about sequels that go on too long and betray their initial premise. This feels very much like Jason Takes Manhattan, and I suspect that's purposeful. I was just about to say it's commentary on Muppets Take Manhattan, but it also works for Jason Take Manhattan. <laughs> no, that no, that that sounds like it it is one hundred percent spot on. And I can't wait. Cause cause like yeah. I said, the commentary the, the 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 base of every screen movie has been commentary. And I always I got nervous. I liked four and I loved five. And when they said they're definitely doing a six, I was worried because I was like, they're I am are they are like in my head, I'm like, are they running out of commentary? However, horror has been in a in a golden age for like the past five years. Horror movies have just been gotten more diverse and interesting we're back to horror comedies we're back to like introspective horror there was a cronenberg movie not too long i was at uh crimes of the future like we are in a like golden age right now so i feel like as long as horror continues to evolve especially slasher flicks Scream is never going to run out of any kind of like commentary for this genre it is it is interesting to me yeah, for sure. Awesome. So, Scream Six, giving BJ life. Uh, let's might as well throw it over to Eric for the, the flip side, <laughs> since it was already kind of mentioned. What's your <laughs> one up, Eric? So, I watched a TV show where you know all the characters are very engaging and make you like them. Uh, the real friends of WeHo. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm totally oh. kidding. No, oh my god! A, totally stole there, my bit. <laughs> there was a giant brain. <laughs> there was a giant collective click last night as everyone turned their channels off of mtv at the same time after the uh let the music play um or if you say no. or if you're like nasha lopez you can say uh we only showcase talent talented people in this bar <laughs> oh was that the roscoe's viewing yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a clip. There's a clip from because uh, they they YouTube their their viewing parties and uh, yeah. at the end of the show they're like she was like all right so you, so obviously you know it's going to be a little different this time because uh, they're showing this other show in between and uh, we're not going to showcase that because uh, or, or says something about like uh, you know people not even being friends or living in WeHo and uh, yeah we only we only showcase uh, talented people in this bar. I think Lucy LaDuca was there and she's like, oh, I guess I'll leave then. <laughs> oh, Lucy. Um, no. So my one up is um, the first three episodes of season two of Vox Machina were released um, th- Friday at midnight. I believe it was. Um, and yay, all the gangs back. Um, it picks up pretty much immediately after the end of the first season where they've returned victorious from their quest and they're um, getting their kudos in front of the sovereign and everything. And then the dragons attack and completely 
destroy everything and basically resets the board and now all our characters are under leveled again and they have to go on a quest to find to power up and find new weapons and it's just great i love it so much um it's part of the campaign it's part of the critical role campaign that i've not listened to at all so i don't know what's going to be happening um but it looks like a lot of fun Nice. I saw for some reason that was in my discover feed, uh, I think yesterday. And I was like, oh, Eric's going to definitely be talking about this. And then BJ was like, but what up is Vox Machina? And I was like, what? <laughs> See, was a this is trailer. What, this is <laughs> why y'all need to go. I give y'all till like, it was like 20 minutes before <laughs> the episode. You posted the link to record. And I'm like, surely somebody's going to put their one up before I accidentally steal theirs again. And it always <laughs> fucking happens. Right there for you. Like the Scream trailer. They posted I, it in the chat and everything. I forgot. <laughs> and I still ended up stealing shit. <laughs> dear Lord. Dear Lord. So did you like the uh, first three episodes then, uh, BJ? Or any uh, of them that I, you watched? I uh, I watched I only watched the first one. I I wanted I'm one I'm trying to get uh, cause kind of like Pat, there are certain shows that I cause I caught so let's let's be clear. I caught up on One Piece, and for those of you that don't know, their last episode was one thousand and forty-eight, and I restarted <laughs> watching it from episode one during the shutdown during the pandemic, and I caught up like a couple months ago. And I'm like, well, I hate this bullshit. Um, so <laughs> Vox Machina, mm-hmm. I didn't watch all. Of, so the first season of Vox Machina had already dropped. All of it had had come out. So I sat down and I one shot that shit in like two days. So I know I'm going to probably one shot this just from what I've seen in the first episode. So I'm like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to hunker down and hopefully I can get like bank at least three or four more episodes. And then I'm going to just like devour it. Cause I'm moving soon. So I kind of want something to watch while I get like, you know, figure out my permanent residence up in Georgia. And while I'm like, you know, put stuff in a storage unit and get all that stuff situated. So I'm going to need something lighthearted and just kind of a quick watch versus like something super in depth. But I'm, I'm excited to watch the rest of it. It is a pretty big cliffhanger at the end of uh, episode three. So. Oh, good. Uh. Good. I'm glad. Thank you. I'm glad I didn't <laughs> watch it then. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Well, there you go. Uh, but I think it releases every two weeks, maybe every week. Uh, I'm not sure. In blocks of three episodes. It should look to release more often. That's not healthy. <laughs> but this way you save up a bigger load of episodes. ha. <laughs> 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 What's the what's the what's the laugh from the original run of it? (laughs) Oh Lord! All right, Brian, what is your one up? (sighs) Um, (laughs) I can't even think straight. That wasn't even the soundboard. It was so (laughs) the The first one of twenty (laughs) twenty three. We did it, Reddit. 
<laughs> we did it, Joe. We did it. <sighs> um, what was I? Oh, God. Okay, podcast. So, sorry. I had to reset after that. Um, yeah, I have two podcasts that I'm very excited about. I think I mentioned one of these before, but it bears repeating. So, uh, Fruit Bowl produced here in Seattle uh, by a gentleman named Dave Quanick is uh, and, and a team now of people is a really cool oral history of queer sex. And it, what's nice is it's very much just focused on an individual or a couple per episode. They're di- diverse uh, people from all different uh, backgrounds, ethnicities, orientations, genders, um, it, it, it is, it is something that I am, I am finding more and more important in my life to, to have these like, uh, records of people's lives, um, finding stories and sharing stories about people, you know, just, just, I believe in that work very strongly these days. So, uh, I love this. It's also, you know, a little titillating. It gets into some sexy stuff. Uh, but it's not, you know, just that it talks about their life and their journey. So, uh, fruit bowl, check that out. Um, uh, and then I don't know if y'all know this, I think long, long time listeners might know this. I, uh, I love Keith Olbermann and talk about sexy, slutty daddy. I mean, to me, Keith Olbermann has been that for years and years and years. Um, just one of those broadcasters that, whether you saw him on Sports Center or you saw him on MSNBC, which is where I encountered him, uh, he's just, especially if you're more progressive uh, to, to the, of the politics side of things, he has just been one of these broadcaster, commentator, talking heads that I just, I love. I love, love, love. He's not perfect. He's got a lot of foibles. His career is a landmine, a field of landmines for himself. But what I love is he started a podcast. He's got his own podcast now of Countdown, which was his MSNBC show. He does a great job of distilling all of the modern contemporary political stuff. He also has a sports segment, which is always pretty interesting, even though I don't care about it typically, uh, unless he's going to talk about curling at some point, which who knows, maybe he will. Uh, But my favorite part is the last segment. He does this thing. I don't know what he calls it, like, Stories that I said I would never tell or something like that, where he basically comes clean and talks about all of this inside the industry stuff. And you learn so much about like his own career, but like how it's intersected with other people. And admittedly, it's from a biased perspective. You know, he he admits that it's like, this is just my take on these stories, but it's just delivered so well. Uh, he he could read a phone book and make it interesting. Like I just love his 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 whole approach to broadcasting. So uh, if you're a fan of Olbermann or you just need something like very uh, quick refresher on what's going on with the politics, I've been loving his George Santos cover coverage. Which oh my god, if you're not caught up on that, that's a whole other show we could do. Um, uh, what's what's Santos's drag name? Ravash, something or other. Uh, oh my God, anyway, I can't even remember. It's, it's Katana or Katara. Katana Ravash. Katara Ravash. Yeah, like also, yeah. aside aside, Colbert just had Harvey Guillen on as George Santos. It was so good. Epic. <laughs> so good. And they got to do it again. They got to just keep that going because, like, when they had John Lithgow as, uh, uh, what's the name? Uh, 
Giuliani. Like it's uh, that yeah. level of just perfection. Anyway, so yeah, Oberman on podcast. I think he's on iHeart Radio, but you can just find it. Doesn't matter what what uh, what platform. Uh, two great shows, and uh, of course, we love that you listen to us here at Flame On, and we also hope that you're sharing that love with others. Uh, you know, like we just did, or I just did with these two shows, please tell your friends, if you're on your own podcast, give us some love. It doesn't hurt. And we'd love to, uh, just keep this, uh, this endeavor going. So tell, tell a friend, make a family member, listen, whatever, whatever you got to do, you know, whether it's at a wake or on a road trip, you just put it on. It, it'll work. It'll work in all occasions. <laughs> <laughs> So for the last one up, um, this is one or so a couple of quick things. One, I've already mentioned it. Golden Gals live here in Chicago. If you haven't seen it and you were in the Chicago area anytime before February 12th, they run shows Thursday through Sunday, two shows on Saturdays. Um, So go check them out. Go check them out. Go check them out. Two, Jinx Monsoon made her Broadway debut as... um, Mama Matron, Mama Morton, Matron, Mama Morton. I don't know why I was getting so goddamn tongue tied in my own head there. <laughs> uh, she is now Mama, and um, <clears throat> the uh, I think like Broadway World uh, actually had showed video of her first um, closing bow as Mama on Broadway, and it was so delightful. And seeing her get her flowers literally um, was was delightful. Uh, she was, she was just also on, on Seth Meyers, and it was a pretty good interview. Seth Meyers, yeah. Sorry, um, I haven't watched it yet, but I do want to. I do want to see that. Um, so those, if you're in New York and you're able to go see her while she's in the show, she's in it until March, I believe. Um, go check her out. I know Jamie was talking about going and getting tickets, uh, or that he will be going to New York to see her in Chicago. So that is phenomenal for Jinx. We love her. Friend of the pod, um, keep doing amazing things. Uh, but my one up is the pit stop for season fifteen of RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, normally, the pit stop hasn't been something that I've watched a lot of. Um, I did watch a, a number, a handful of episodes when Trixie was hosting it. Uh, I think for season thirteen, I think it was maybe 14 right. i forget which yeah she did she did all stars 6 and 13 i believe so maybe it was all stars 6 that i was watching it um so watch some some with her um i <clears throat> i was loving was it, uh monet was the one for 14 so maybe Mo- monet was 14 there we go okay uh monet was doing a great job who did all stars help me out Eric. Bob. Okay, that's right. That's because it was fourteen, <laughs> and then Bob was the final epi- final guest for Monet, and then Bob took it over for All Stars. That's right, because then they didn't show like they didn't. She was talking about it on Sibling Watchery. They didn't get to see the final lip sync when they did the pit stop for it. They showed them all the way up to the final lip sync. So Bob, Bob and Thorgy talking about that final lip sync and the winner and everything that was all pulled out their asses. Like they had no clue who the actual winner was. They didn't see the lip sync or any of it. So it's kind of funny. Um, so what did I did my film four endings. No, they just didn't. <laughs> they just didn't know. They. I want to go back and watch it because they talk. They must have. They had to have talked in all generics 
but I just didn't realize it because they didn't see it because they wouldn't know. Like they, I, which is so bizarre, but <clears throat> Pat, I don't, Pat, yeah. Was it, was it Bob and Monet or was it Bob and Peppermint? Well, <laughs> Bob and Peppermint have, they, they had their whole thing seasons prior to that. Was it seasons prior? Mo- okay. Yeah. That's it's fashion. <laughs> it's fashion. Is it fashion? It's fashion. Yeah. I was I was just thinking about the okay Monet and then like like, like I'm a sorry I'm a, you know what this has been a great opportunity I love it she's like oh I'm gonna just I'm gonna just pack my bag and go now like oh my god that was amazing as well that was amazing oh my god oh yes when Pep was on on the pit stop with with Bob that was great um, but this season's host is none other than Bianca Del Rio. And for those of you who know me, know that Bianca probably ranks as my favorite Rue girl of all time. Like, I love me some of these other girls. I'm friends with some of these other girls. Bianca, like, there's just... I One of my new co-workers, we were talking about Drag Race, and she was like, this might be, this might be a, a controversial opinion, but my favorite... Uh, my favorite winner is Bianca Del Rio. And I was like, oh, girl, same. And I was like, I knew I liked you for a reason. Um, but Bianca is hosting the pit stop and bringing her branded snark to this after show. And it is fantastic. Uh, it comes out at, I believe, noon Eastern on Saturday after the episode comes out. First episode, or actually the first episode of the pit stop, which covered episodes one and two of Drag Race. Uh, season 15 featured a double guest in Ben de la Creme and Jinx Monsoon. Um, episode 2, which covered episode 3, was Scarlet Envy. And Scarlet did not look like Scarlet at all. Looked fantastic. I just If you if you had shown me that picture and asked me to name the queen, I would never have guessed that it was Scarlet Envy. But she looked phenomenal. Um, and I don't know who's on this uh, this week's episode, but I am... Uh, Ad- Adore Delano. All right, call over. I got to go watch the pit stop now. Bye, y'all. Um, <laughs> you know that I love me some Adore Delano and having those two reunited from season six. Ah, I can't wait to watch this. Um, but even better is that <laughs> she had, and part of the reason I'm sure that Bianca even agreed to do this was because she had foot surgery. So she can't perform. She's got to be in these um, these, these adorable looking uh, drag orthopedic shoes, but they, the fact that they continually love the wide shot to, to like put so much more focus on these shoes. It's insane. And I really do hope that there is at least some point in every episode where she has to mention why she's wearing these shoes and not like, you know, regular uh, heels or something. So it's been, it's been fantastic. She, brings this air of I don't give a shit about the show or like that it's just it's funny to watch on a show that is sponsored and paid for by the actual show so I it's just been fantastic I I'm enjoying watching it um with a with a shorter episode of Drag Race it's amazing to watch a an episode of the pit stop that is just about as long if not in some cases a little bit longer than an actual episode of RuPaul's Drag Race Considering this last episode, um, the Race Chaser episode, here's our Race Chaser mention for this episode, um, <laughs> their review of episode three, 40 minutes of television was an hour and like an hour and a half. 
if not a little bit longer. I was like, God damn, y'all are just like y'all it's y'all the going good drugs in. Drugs that Willem's on. Willem's on some good painkillers right now, and it's 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 showing. <laughs> she holds it together for for a race chaser, but that first episode of Hot Goss, she was a fucking mess, and it was amazing. Yep. So yep. good. Oh yeah, that's no. They've been they've been great, and then I've been listening to uh, Bob and Monet's Watchery episodes. So when I was when I drove um, from Chicago to New York and back for for Christmas, I caught up on um, Watchery because I was a I had gotten I was watching them on YouTube, watching and listening on YouTube on YouTube, but I only got about halfway through the season, so I wanted to go back and finish uh, All Star Seven because I wanted to hear Monet, I, I wanted to hear her behind the scenes tea, but um there was one episode i almost did not get through because they decided to do all accents like they did it like a like try to do british accents through the whole thing and i swear to god it was at like it was like at hour 13 and a half of driving when this happened and my brain almost my brain almost melted and i was like i can't i had to skip and i had to skip to the next episode i was like fuck this i can't listen to this eventually did and apparently their listeners were not happy with it either so i at least felt justified (laughs) in my, my feelings but anyway pit stop if you're watching Drag Race, let us know what you think. We're already four episodes into the season. Let us know what you think. Let it, let me know what you think about Bianca hosting the pit stop. And uh, yeah, that does it for us for this episode. We will be back in two weeks with another micro uh, where we're going to dish on another topic for you. And uh, we'll be back next month with more roundtable pop culture discussion. Thank you all for joining me on this episode. And until next time, Bye, bitch. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.